Good afternoon, everyone. I will call the meeting of the Army Health System Human Resources Committee to order. Can we have a roll call? Trustee DeVries? Here. Trustee Hernandez? Here. Trustee Jensen? Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. And um, for everyone who notices that our quorum is a little smaller than usual, we did have um, a retirement or, or a departure of, of um, board member Lawrence, who is no longer part of this committee or the AHS board. So with that, I will, um, I would like to adjust, amend the agenda to move item F to um, the first item, or to after the minutes. So um, after we take the, do the approval of the minutes, we will evaluate item F, and I also would, um, I would also, a after public comment, I'm sorry, I'm scattered today. So, with, add objection. All right then, um, we'll open with public comment, and we have two public speakers. The first is Soraya O'Sullivan. I'm Soraya Sullivan. I'm an RN and a recently uh, graduated shop steward, I guess. And I just wanted to make a quick uh, comment about the short staffing. Um, I know there was uh, some concern on the part of the board uh, about absenteeism, uh, staff taking sick leave, excessive sick leave. And I just wanted to point out that's a common misconception and there's a direct correlation. Uh, numerous studies show that there's a direct correlation between short staffing, inadequate staffing, and burnout increases in workers' comp injuries and the quality of patient care. So I would just like you to keep that in mind because we continue to be short staffed. We continue to have staff go through shifts without a proper break, without getting vacation time. And we have to keep that work-life balance going, just not only for us to take care of us, but to take care of the patients. Thank you. Thank you. And our next um, public speaker, that would be John Pearson. Thank you very much. Uh, John Pearson, ER nurse here at Highland, and also chapter president of uh, SEIU 10 to 1 HS chapter. Um, I wanted to give you two updates on items you've heard about before and then uh, tell you about something new. Um, the probationary worker grievance that you probably remember from the February meeting, um, we have yet to see meaningful steps be taken by AHS to address the problems that we described in the grievance. Um, we suggested several very concrete remedies, including sitting down with us to review probationary terminations of people of color, um, and none of those remedies have, uh, have happened. Um, we noticed crossover between what the board was, uh, the, what this committee was asking um, execs to do and our remedies, and we have not seen movement. In fact, from the new labor relations director, we just saw basically a rejection of our grievance. Uh, and so we're seeing little choices left but to do some kind of public campaign. Um, we really would like to engage with AHS on this. We think this is a fixable problem. Um, 
You might remember from the full board meeting a number of respiratory therapists giving comment. Um, we, about a month or two months ago, gave Rache Holman and some other leaders, including respiratory therapy management, a list of specific issues that are happening in that department. We asked for some of them to be addressed. None of them have, um, and I'll tell you quickly some of those now. Uh, one of them is that uh, management are employing direct, uh, are employing relatives, a sister and a niece, that are in clinical titles but are used to work in the office, taking them away from patient care. One of them has access to all their coworkers' Kronos records and can manipulate the Kronos. Uh, RTs are routinely pulled from bedside care to attend daily meetings that management are supposed to be at. Instead of taking care of patients, they're in these meetings so the managers don't have to go. Lead RTs who are there to back up the other RTs in an emergency, like one patient being intubated in one room and another in, in a second room, uh, are pulled from patient care work to do supervisor's work, or they're pulled from patient care uh, to have a f or pulled from backing up their coworkers to have a full patient care assignment, leaving no backup for the others. Um, like you have heard about nurses before, uh, no plan at all for break coverage. Uh, which we addressed in a big grievance and a very long struggle with AHS. Same thing for the respiratory therapists. There appears to be zero plan for management to cover their breaks. So RTs, if they can step away, carry their work phone, are responsible for answering it, and they're still responsible for patients. There's no plan to cover them. They also are not getting paid when they're missing these breaks. Uh, Rosemary Williams, uh, the manager, is employed at Brightwood College. Uh, and uses AHS RTs to train the Brightwood College students. And we're aware that uh, she likely has not filed the appropriate paperwork, which I've learned is called FPPC 700. Might be wrong about that. Um, and then the third thing, if you'll allow me just 20 seconds, a uh, new issue that we've noticed coming up in two different locations where there are operating rooms. In L&D, where C-sections are done, and also in the operating room here on K5, um, some pretty horrifying reports of people that are not trained to handle sterile equipment or to work as a scrub tech being put in the position of working as a scrub tech. So specifically nurses being told, there's no scrub tech today, go scrub in, and they're saying basically, I don't know how to do that, boss, but go do it anyway. Or scrub techs getting pulled from the OR to go to L&D with no orientation, no training, not used to the procedure, not used to the doctors, not used to the people they're working with whatsoever. Similar, but maybe even more, um, well, I guess equally upsetting story of EVS workers being assigned to the OR with zero training or orientation on how to clean a sterile room. Um, we're also hearing reports of their supervisors not knowing how to instruct them how to do that or having the knowledge of, of doing that, that it should be something different than cleaning a non-sterile room. Thank you for your time. Thank you, John. With that, then, I will... Um Take a, a uh, motion to approve the minutes from our last meeting. That's so moved. Second. Without objection. And then we will move to what was formerly item F, the um, retirement plan. Yes, thank you very much, Trustee Jensen. And my apologies to the committee. Uh, this was intended to be a written report. And uh, unfortunately, I did not get it. Um, 
to the clerk in a timely fashion. I did just want to give you a, a very brief uh, oral report on the items that were going to be covered in that uh, from our last uh, Retirement Plans Investment Committee meeting, which was May 31st of this year. Uh, there were three action items that were actually undertaken by uh, the committee in that meeting. Uh, the first was to approve revisions of the investment policy statements for the combined plans. And essentially, for each of the plans, there is a statement which basically lays out objectives uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, for the particular plan and then, you know, standards with regard to, you know, how the plan will be evaluated, what sort of reports would come up. Um, there was a, there is a requirement that these be reviewed annually, so I ask that the uh, statements be uh, revised uh, by the advisors on the plan, so they brought those back and the uh, committee approved those. Uh, the second item that uh, we took care of in uh, the meeting, uh, well, of course, there was approval of the minutes for the last meeting, but the second major item that we approved uh, was the plan to move forward with the termination of the ECHO plan, which is the Alameda Hospital plan. So this is a plan that uh, was closed uh, in 2004. Uh, it is, you know, basically moved from Alameda Hospital to AHS uh, when we entered into the JPA. And basically it's to the point, you know, where the administrative costs of keeping the plan going are basically greater than terminating the plan. So we had asked our uh, benefits consultant Altman and Cronin to develop a plan for terminating the plan. Um, and they reported on that <coughs> to us in the uh, last committee meeting. And essentially, uh, the first step of the process is, you know, approval by the board uh, to terminate the plan. And then there are a series of regulatory steps which are undertaken, uh, filing with the IRS, notification to the plan, the you know, beneficiaries, before you actually distribute the money from the plan. And there will be um, one of two options for the distribution, either a lump sum option, which typically is what people ask for, uh, or there will be uh, a purchase of an annuity to provide the ongoing benefits, you know, based upon uh, their distribution from the plan. So the plan, uh, I got to come on. Uh, so the intent is uh, to present this to the board in the September meeting, you know, to, uh, because it does require governing board approval, um, to approve the termination of the plan, and then we will actually set a target date of distribution of funds for September 30th of 2019. Uh, part of the coordination of this uh, is between the, the uh, Retirement Plans and uh, Investment Committee and Finance regarding when, what the budget impact of that distribution will be. And so we worked that through with finance and they've uh, concurred in the uh, September 30, 2019, which would be in the, uh, at the end of the first quarter in fiscal year 2019, fiscal year 2019-2020. Uh, um, couple of other items that uh, were points of discussion uh, in the meeting. Uh, a question was raised uh, with regard to uh, Marsha McLennan, which is the firm that provides investment advice to the committee. And essentially, uh, Marsh and McLennan, you know, each month uh, basically prepares a report uh, along with Prudential on the plans themselves, how they're performing, uh, how individual funds are performing, whether or not they're meeting the investment objectives, this sort of thing. And then they uh, basically make recommendations to the committee, you know, to the extent that a fund should be placed on the watch list or taken off the watch list or be replaced. And they do that in an advisory uh, capacity, meaning that they provide us, the, the committee, the information, they make a recommendation, and the committee then decides whether or not to adopt the recommendation. 
Um, the other alternative is that they act as a fiduciary, meaning that they would, you know, in essence, do all of those things, but then they would make the decision for us. And they would then take on, you know, essentially the liability, if you will, for whatever decision is being made. Uh, our current practice is that they act in an advisory capacity, and after some discussion, you know, we believe that that was appropriate for them to continue in that role, that uh, in as much as the committee represents, you know, both the board, employees of the organization, generally we felt that it was appropriate that the committee itself retain the ultimate discretion uh, to make those decisions as well as the responsibility for it as well too. So we will continue on in that fashion. Um, we then received our reports on each of uh, the plans and again typically in the meeting what we receive is uh, a um, a two-part report on the combined plans, which, you know, of course, are the, the 457 plans and basically the largest, you know, bolus. And so Marsh McLennan provides an executive summary. Uh, then Prudential goes through some of the, the specifics on the plan. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary was uh, reported. Uh, the plans are doing well. There continues to be robust <coughs> participation in each of the plans. The one thing that was noticed is that there did appear to be an uptick in the number of uh, participants who uh, are invested solely in the stable value fund. Um, and the stable value fund, for lack of better, is your most conservative. Uh, so we asked uh, Prudential to do some analysis on that to determine if it means anything um, and whether or not there's any action that the committee would need to take regarding it. Um, and then there was a uh, report on the ECHO plan and the defined contribution plans. And again, nothing extraordinary was reported. Um, the performance of each was generally within um, uh, you know, sort of the market parameters. They did not do substantially better than the market as a whole, nor substantially worse uh, as a whole. So, and that was the meeting. So, uh, and Mike, when, yes. when, is, when do we need to make a decision? So, this committee will not have to make a decision uh, on um, the uh, the plan termination that goes from the revestment from the revet Retirement Plans Investment Committee to the board, since uh, that's a board committee or a board appointed committee. So, but we and we're hearing this because of the Echo Plan requirement. Uh, the HR committee, we thought we'd hear it here first, since the Echo Plan we have to be sunset <coughs> over the next year, and that'll be a decision by the board. And um, Tony, if you could just, um, I mean, not Mike, if you could um. Mentioned uh, what I found interesting at the investment committee meeting too was um, we did have a discussion about the the participation or the the um, the goal maker program and how people were our employees were tending to um, use that program, which I thought was in how we could support their their decision making and, and give them more information about goal maker. Yes, and uh, just for the other members of the committee, Goalmaker is a, a program within the Prudential uh, Investment Options which allows uh, plan participants to uh, to customize their investment, um, you know, elections, and so it's essentially a uh, an online program, you know, which sort of takes you through a series of questions to answer, you know, regarding, you know, uh, demographic status, you know, age, uh, how much longer you plan to work, <coughs> risk factors, and then it makes recommendations to you on what 
uh, of the fund offerings, you know, would appear to be consistent, and then you actively make those choices as opposed to, you know, simply signing on to the plan and then basically being assigned, you know, a fund to. So the participation in Goalmaker is now up to 40 percent, uh, which, you know, in which reflects what has been a, a a consistent increase in participation over the course of time, and it's it's significant in that you know the goalmaker participation uh, suggests or reflects you know a more sophisticated approach to investment that employees aren't simply just you know. <coughs> Acting as lamb or sheeps, they're basically, you know, taking an active role, and um, so we we see that as a good sign, and that's viewed as a good sign, or uh, you know, a, a sign of maturation for an organization that employs you know, increase their participation like that. So, thank you. Do do any committee members have questions on no. this topic? Well, then, thank you for the presentation. Okay. I'm sorry, I didn't want. You're on that committee, right? Yeah. And who's the other person on the committee? Or is it just well, staff? It, it's just myself, and then Mike is the, the staff. He's right. pretty much the yes. chair. Yes. The, yeah, I think so I'm a member. It's yeah, a so, so the committee is composed of one trustee, yeah. one trustee appointed by the board. Uh, then it also includes as appointees the CHRO, the CFO, the general counsel, and then two employee members. So uh, the CFO position is currently vacant, so we're down one member. Um, and then we will also be uh, doing another employee appointment uh, because uh, Doug DelPaggio was the other employee member. So what we're anticipating is uh, a process to, you know, basically you know, much like the board, you know, solicit applicants to be the employee representative, you know, because we want, we don't want to appoint somebody, you know, it should be somebody who wants to do it, so. And That's actually, Susanna, <laughs> Susanna Flores, our former clerk, is one of the employment. Yeah. 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 So, thanks, Mike. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we'll move on to our CHRO and our presentation about the Human Resources Dashboard. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Um, so I'll refer you to your, you have it in front of you. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on the data. I wanted to spend time on the selection, really, and the discussion. So we've been looking at this data now for about 12 months in total. There have been some ups and downs within the data. Um, you know, when I look at the year end, we're at about 11.2% for turnover, which is a little uh, below our above our target. Uh, but we expect and hope to get to our target by year end. What I'm worried about there is we slowed down um, with the layoff process that we had at the end of the year. We had a number of job eliminations, not a high number. When we do that, we froze all of our jobs. Uh, and so that's going to slow down the hiring process and the time to fill. And so I'm not worried by that data shifting. I mean, it's just a product of what we have to do to make sure that we place people in, in jobs when we have them. Um, and so the real question, uh, you have a question? I have a question. Okay. Uh, real question for the board that relates to the data is, uh, as you look at true, the True North metrics next year, uh, what I'm proposing that you include there is co to continue with turnover. It's a key issue for us, and I don't think we should move away from that, whether it's probationary, first and second year turnover, or total turnover. I think we, as a committee, you need to keep looking at that and then roll up the aggregate number of, of turnover and then to add workplace injuries uh, because we have some work to do in that area. We've, we've noticed it creeping up. Uh, when I talk to our plan, we believe that's the addition of, of new staff. So over the last 12 months, we've added staff and grown with permanent staff. 
with that has come a, an increased number in the uh, the total number of injuries. Um, that's okay. You know, it isn't where we want to be. The two things are connected, but I think it's an area where we need to do some improvement. We've done significant amounts of ergonomic work there, but again, I think we want to keep an eye on that because if we see injuries increasing, then it's really a symptom of other things going on, whether it be um, lack of ergonomic support, people being overworked, lack of attention to detail around workplace safety, and we want to make sure we stay on top of that because it's going to be a problem for us if we don't. So those are the two things I'm recommending. I think for the True North metrics, the goal is two from this committee, or if you believe there needs to be more than two, then to have a discussion with the other committees about removing one of their True North metric items. So Joe, I had a question, and then yeah. I have a question as well. I'm sure well my first question is really unrelated to the dashboard, but yeah. you, since you brought up layoffs, yeah. I, um, do we know yet how many actual people are affected? Um, it's flu it fluctuates in, in a real-time basis because we're in negotiations at the various sites. At some locations, people have requested to reduce their total FTE. So as a, an example, CNA at San Leandro, one of their requests was for a number of people to drop their FTE to knock down the number of people who were potentially laid off. We're going through the analysis of whether that's feasible because as you change the FTE, then you have to work out, can you balance the schedule? Mm -hmm. If you can't balance the schedule while the proposal itself makes sense to reduce the number of layoffs, we have to go through this analysis and maybe we can or can't accommodate it. And so it's going up and down. I, I understand that's a point, uh, an issue the board are concerned about, so I'll make yeah. sure the full board is, is aware of what the total number is. We're working through displacement with employees at San Leandro in the CNA unit to Alameda Hospital right now. We think about half of them are going to actually try and take jobs there in terms of they've been interviewed, they're qualified, and we're going to try and move them there. That brings the overall number down. Uh, and then we're looking at other ways to mitigate the losses there. Uh, we're working through bumping where it's required in bargaining units. Uh, we, we, we covered that today. Um, and we're working through the workforce planning process with that SEIU 1021. And so our goal is that we obviously displace or remove from employment as few as possible. Um, there may be, there are going to be some people who are ultimately impacted by it, but we're going to do what we can to try and place them in other roles where we can. Um, and my question is uh, just regarding the um, True North metrics. Yeah. How many um, H, how many uh, HR related uh, dashboard items are on the board dashboard, the True North dashboard? So the True North metric dashboard right now is uh, time to fill or time right. to start and um, turnover. So it's two. Well, so is it turnover and, and then, so we have on a, the HR dashboard, we have turnover, all employee and nursing. So yeah, all employee nursing and we also talk about first and second year turnover, right? So that you, you're doing that deeper dive, uh -huh. but the report up to the full board is that single number. So that you're the doing one that's the last number of separations divided by number of employees? That's correct. Okay. So that's, that's what rolls up there right now with the, the intent being you guys get a deeper look at it and we can have a right. deeper conversation about those issues and then the full board sees that total number and keeps on track because the others in many regards feed it. You know, first, our turnover is about average, about 11%, can go down to 10%, can go up to 12% in healthcare in the Bay Area, depending upon time. First year turnover is incredibly high in healthcare uh, as is second year turnover. And so we track with that. Again, we're not happy with it, and if we can drive those numbers down, then that's gonna bring the overall turnover down. So, so I think uh, it's just, 
part of a separate discussion that's going on, but it's important to raise it here. Um, and that is that we just need to get a handle on engagement. We're not collecting data often enough on workplace work, employee engagement. And if, if I were to kind of draw a pyramid out there, if you put at the base employee engagement, everything can be somewhat related back to the level of employee engagement. Mm -hmm. Turnover, accidents, burnout, all of that stuff comes to that. So we don't have anything on that. And, and, and I just want to, for the record, say some of us on the board really feel that that needs to be a priority. So in my humble opinion, turnover, since we know that healthcare has very high turnover, that, that seems like something you can discuss here, and if it's something that really uh, becomes uh, quite you know, extraordinary, we take it to the full board. But um, the workplace injuries, I agree, there's something going on about that. Um, and again, if you're not feeling like you're engaged or there's um, you know, other communication issues or, or training issues, that's gonna pop up. So I, I hope we can leave a space on the board dashboard. Mm -hmm. HR will take on this, but I hope we can leave a space for that around engagement, employee engagement. So that to me is a far bigger issue to make sure we're tracking and the others can stay within the committee. Um, did I just respond to that? Oh, thank you, Ian. I would just like to kind of add on to that too, and, and Joe as well. But it would be it would be something to discuss, and I'm not exactly sure how that would be tracked. I would, you know, I would also agree that certainly engagement and and feeling, you know, that you have. The resources you need, and that you're you're fully that the organization is supporting oh, there's, you. There's plenty of engagement measures. So but, let's and, not and worry about that. Look at, no, exactly. I'm sure there are, and, and that would be my question. Obviously, if we look at lost days due to injuries, that's kind of a concrete data thing. So I would just want to know how we could best measure that. And I agree. I think it would be a good thing to know if we if we could. Yes, we can. If you wanted to, you could institute the Gallup 12. That's 12 questions that are used on employee engagement, but I'm sure that Prescaney has its own version of that. Mm -hmm. But there are scores assigned to that, and you will find, you know, uh, results that say, um, you know, 30% of your employees feel highly motivated by the work they do. 10% feel slightly motivated by them. And those are ways in which you begin to look at levels of engagement. I, I'm not sure of the wording, but those are the ways some of those reports come out. So it is measurable. I'm just saying we do not have a regular discussion about that. And it seems like because we are healthcare, we, we do only do those surveys maybe every two years. And I think we need to up our game and behave a little bit more like other sectors that do try to correct, collect that kind of data much more often. So, would you like to hear from Joe? And the, and sure, of course I would. I would love to. <laughs> no, I mean, before you comment, if you want no. to respond to No, him. no, it's fine. Well, I, I was going to say, if we, we do have this engagement tool, but we haven't looked at it in a while. Is It seems like it's ripe to be done again. So I'm That's guessing right. this fiscal year it's going to happen. In the spring. Uh, okay, uh, next spring. Yes. Okay, so we have that. I'm not saying that it gets at everything you want, but it does seem like it 
I don't know that it fell off because we haven't been paying attention or if it just fell off because of the, the, the space between when it surveyed. Um, so the decision was, we made a decision, there was discussion with the board about a gap. We'd been running a survey actually every year and then we do a full survey every year and then we do it, we did a check-in. Right. There's a feeling that the, the employees were going through a lot of transition and they were get, also getting surveyed to death. So there were a couple of things. We were doing a survey mm -hmm. around bed, the better heart program that related to quality that had some engagement questions. We were then going out with other mm -hmm. surveys. There's concern that the response rate would drop off and that would lead to, it in itself is a problem because <coughs> we were to get mm -hmm. the response rate up to a pretty high level, which is mm -hmm. a significant, was a significant step forward for the organization. Uh, we use Prescani, not Gallup. I've used Gallup elsewhere. I've also used the advisory board elsewhere and other tools. Mm -hmm. You know, for us, it costs anywhere between 150 to 200,000 to do a single survey. It's mm -hmm. also one person's full-time job for about four to six months. Analyzing when you get down to the cost center level, individual manner, individual manager level, and start carving mm -hmm. out the data against previous surveys, it, it's a large undertaking like any valid uh, survey. So there are other tools out there that you can use to get real-time information. Mm -hmm. um, for healthcare in particular, the, the question to be asked is, do you want to compare yourself to other healthcare organizations? And if you want to do that like we do with patient satisfaction and quality and everything else, then you use a tool that everyone else uses and you do a comparison. That's not the be-all and end-all. You can do anything mm -hmm. you like. Uh, we have followed the historical trend, which is to, you know, go with Press Gainey or Gallup or the advisory board so you can compare yourself to several thousand hospitals and tens or hundreds of thousands of other healthcare workers and see where you stand against those like groups. So that leads to an annual survey if we do it. Uh, we can do check-ins. There are, um, the last time we did a survey was a spot check, which was similar to, similar to the Gallup um, shortened version of the survey. So lots of things we can do. The reason it wasn't on the True North metric is because it's it's done, or the way we have been doing it, is once a year. And so it doesn't shift. It doesn't track. The intent of the dashboard was to track things on a monthly basis at the full board. And so that's why it wasn't reported up by this board, but I, you know, we're happy to have that conversation. So you're suggesting that, um, that it, it would be a challenge to have it on, done on a... Um, trending basis uh, yeah, uh, on the true north metric. It, it, would, it wouldn't shift on a monthly basis. Yeah. That doesn't mean there's not another one that would. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I, w I just want to just challenge us to look a little more broadly because mm -hmm. the world has changed. It, it has. Since Bruscaney and Gallup started doing this, which is eons ago, yes. oh my gosh, you know, there's now these things called cell phones and people do, you <laughs> know, <laughs> surveys and press, they, they do all kinds of stuff now to push out to employees you know, how are things going? Uh, there's also some technology that, uh, you know, I just became aware of. Uh, they're using it to look at, um, the application right now is to look at how to identify the social determinants of health that patients are experiencing in their community. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in just chatting with those folks, can we do it internal as well? Mm -hmm. So when I think about this survey and these pulse checks, mm -hmm. I just want to challenge us that, that, that it, you don't have to go to Prescani and do it once a year. It can be a very strong, vibrant way of communicating with employees and finding out what's really going on and hearing about the things that we hear uh, in the public comments in a more um, holistic manner in real time. 
that concerns me uh, that we're not getting that kind of information maybe uh, collected broadly because I think it takes courage to come here I think it takes in extraordinary effort to take off time and be present and do this what if you didn't have to do that what if you could get it in real-time manner with the technology that we know is now uh, emerging for that kind of data collection so I want to challenge us to maybe think out of the box and explore that but for the purposes of your question just to yeah. cut to the chase I'm in agreement that for the board's dashboard, we just need a couple of items. And right now, you've suggested the two that we have access yeah. to. That's fine. In the future, maybe by the time you know we actually uh, convene in, in um, uh, a couple more meetings, we'll know yeah. if there are some options. And I would just ask the board, to, the committee, to be open to swapping one of these out for engagement. Just in case we have the yeah. ability to do that. <clears throat> and I, I want to ask, on that note, I have a totally different direction. Um, we don't have anything on physician engagement. And I That's did have a conversation with yeah. Trustee Bouquet, who yeah. you know, just said, please, and I don't know what the tool is or what it looks like. But it, he, it's he, the same. Okay. We, we do employee and physician engagement at the same time. I mean, um, all the talk the, around burnout and, and, and the fragile partnership we're trying to create and, 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 and make you know, Alameda Health Partners stronger right. with the issues we faced at our emergency rooms. Like, it, um, I'm wondering if there's something sooner that could get physician engagement in some format on this dashboard. Because we talk about our nurses, you know, we talk about our separations. Most of our doctors aren't employees. They're part well, that, of a different group. That becomes the question whether it's the remit of this committee as opposed to the board. That then most of them are not employees. Right. But, yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, it's a contractual relationship. Right. Sure. So the question is whether it belongs They're in this committee. Resource, I'm, so yeah, I'm, not, I'm not arguing against the sense of seeing physician engagement. No. I'm just it's a question about where that the reporting of that belongs, mm -hmm. whether it's here or whether it's with it's QPC, the call, QPSE or somewhere else. Right. Um, well, well, for this dashboard. Um, Okay. And I, I would also tell you that the, the response rate historically has been anemic from the physicians. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've done a lot of advertising to the walking them through, the, here's mm -hmm. how you fill it out. Yeah. That's not unusual when you have particularly two community hospitals where the physicians practice elsewhere. And it, it actually, while talking about burnout is important, the actual filling out a survey to tell you that burnout is less important to them. Uh, and so that, that can become an issue as to what the validity of the data. You might mm -hmm. get five responses at San Leandro Hospital that typically are at the two ends of the scale. Everything's great or fine, or I don't care, right? everything's okay, and everything's absolutely terrible. And then you get blended out that everything's okay. And so, and I'm not arguing against the survey, we have done it. It has been a challenge historically. The employee survey took a long time to get up to a pretty high response rate, which is about seven in this high mm -hmm. 60, 70 percent. It's a good response rate. It's a good response rate. The physicians right. would be below 25 percent oh. and lower. And so, and then when you get into certain areas, it's almost zero. Mm -hmm. And so, the validity of any dev you get then becomes into question. It's a single mm -hmm. provider out of ten. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not arguing against. I think we need to do it, but we've got to work more with the physician mm -hmm. partners to encourage their colleagues then to complete it. And then the question is where it gets reported, whether it's here right. or QPSC. Well, given that we've been uh, uh, 
um, asked to manage more carefully the contract with our mm -hmm. physician group, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that should be part of the contract <laughs> that they need to provide that data. And maybe they need to do their own policing. Uh, well, policing is a strong word, but supporting of, um, <laughs> of physician engagement, right? Because yeah. we're doing business with them. Right. They need to tell us that their members are doing fine mm -hmm. or not and help us understand why. I just came from a meeting with the deputy chiefs, so, so I'm thinking I got police on my mind. I okay, apologize that for that it. strong yeah, there language, you go. right? Yeah. I don't want to criminalize our doctors. <laughs> <laughs> understand? Um, uh, motivating. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I too support getting okay. uh, removing um, uh, uh, the. Uh, one of those, yeah. yeah. And then request is to discuss. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. care. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. days yeah. to start. Look, you guys are doing great. Yeah. You're yeah. a public institution. Yeah. Your 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 lightning speed is. compared yeah. to the, the one that I worked at. I, I don't think that those were yeah. Which uh, is agreement. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing though, before I forget, we we are not uh, including in our minutes. I think our list of tasks to come back Follow and up. review. So we used to have a little um, a table, tracking a tracking right. sheet. Yeah. And so, for example, I also am a little concerned. We've heard today that there's some items that have been brought forward to us by employees. Uh, I know that we talked about some of those things actually, so we, we did respond, mm -hmm. but I don't know where they are, so I think we need to come back to that uh, little table that we had yeah, and so make sure. Yeah, I, that makes sense, I, and you can discuss with Ronna how you want to do that. Um, th then the, the separate question is some of them we're not going to be able to address in public. <laughs> Right. Right. So, so oh, there are matters of how we address them. So I'm fine, you know, that we have that discussion. We then just need to work, create yeah, the right form to, to follow up on yeah. those items. And I did, I'm sorry. We're all over the map. We're <laughs> all over the map. I'm sorry, gonna you're, get you're letting coffee. us wobble no. over them. So no, no. I, I, I mean, on the on the separations, number of separations divided, yeah. it, it looks like we're, we're beating the averages yeah. uh, all around. So should that be the dashboard indicator at the full board or not? I, mean, I, I would still say so. I think I think it's something key for us to track because you can see spikes and troughs. We've seen it fluctuate throughout the year, and I think it's worth the dialogue when that shifts, um, and then for us to report to the board because it's a, it is a key indicator. It's a lag indicator, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as Trustee Hernandez said. You know, engagement could be a lead indicator, and turnover is a lag indicator. People are already leaving. But it's important that you're aware of it, and then right. you know it, it can at times be a call to action. It can be a little yeah. way, but it's essential. And I guess the first and second year—that's the yeah. one that we care about. I mean, not that we don't care about our older employees, or yeah. our, but that's where it's because it, that feeds it can be the a training number. issue of probation, right? Because if you if you if you look at it, obviously you can see it up there. Um, that feeds it because the rates are so high. If you can cut that, then that drops the overall. Got it. Right. And that that goes to the okay. you know discussion later about the probation releases and other topics we're going to talk about. Okay. There, there are issues around that that if we can drive into and improve, that will drop the overall turnover. I agree. Well, then I I will start tracking these things. And I think um, what I'm hearing is that our HR dashboard. I'm, I'm hearing that your presentation, and we agree with you that mm -hmm. those two um, items can go to the True North Metrics Source, yes. and then um, that we want to further review our okay. HR dashboard and, and look at employee engagement in particular yeah. and other areas. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sorry. I want to make sure we include, and if it has to be a recommendation to the full board, that's fine, but that we carve out some sort of physician engagement right. uh, mechanism uh, as part of this. 
So can we can we make that recommendation to the full board? I, I don't want that lost. And okay. so it, it might just go to the full. It might just go to QPSC, as you said. Well, this may. but this committee can say we believe it might should be. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, whether whatever QPSC. Well, this is an action item. I mean, I think we're in consensus that we do want. To, I'm in consensus, yeah. and I think some of the suggestions, especially with regard to um, AHP and Oak Care and UAPD, as a matter of fact, I and mean, we should be able to get right. information. Yeah. Do you need a motion for that? I don't know. No, we no, can't just take a, an action. 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 I think it's for you guys to discuss yeah. with the full board. Just a recommendation. recommendation. Yeah. But that's the sense of this committee, right. and I appreciate I that. Yeah. Cool. So with that, we will move on to our next agenda item, which is um, an information and discussion about the AHS and SEIU education fund. Um, so before that gets started, I. So I'm going to have to leave David Abella, who I think all of you have met, Associate General Counsel, he will be here in case there are any uh, burning legal issues. Can we take a bunch of motions that we... Yes, so absolutely. So I would just say basically just have dispute after dispute. No, let's violate the Brown after that. Okay, finally. So I asked SEAU Ed Fund to come in and talk. You know, because of some of the um, public comments over the last several meetings, to have a dialogue about the things that we are actually doing and working on in partnership with SEIU Ed Fund uh, that create pathways for our employees. The work is them, not me, uh, but we want to work with them to create an environment in which our employees have opportunities where we can create them. Uh, I'll let them introduce themselves in one moment, and they're going to run through this presentation for you. I think you have the mm -hmm. PDF, yeah, uh, and they have hard copies for you. Would you like them now or at the end? Or um, your copy? Um, uh, it's, it's the same presentation. This is great. It's exactly the same. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, great. Thanks, Tony. Um, my name is Tariq Scott. I'm the Assistant Director of Program Innovation with the SDIU UHW West and Joint Employer Education Fund. That's our full title. My name is Amy Bingaman. I'm the Outreach Coordinator for the Education Fund, and I work in Oakland. And before we start, I just wanted you to know they've been, both been great partners. Um, they'll talk about the utilization of the SDIU Ed Fund within AHS, but I want you to know they've worked very hard with Ronnie Gravino on our side to drive up that utilization mm -hmm. and try and get the best value um, obviously for our dollars, but they exist to help and they have been working very hard with us to try and drive up that utilization. Great. Thank you. Excellent. So I think we have about 20, maybe up to 30 minutes yeah. to yeah, they can see it there. to chat. Um, wanted to give you a sense of kind of a broad overview of what we're hoping to cover today. Uh, we want to give you all an overview of the current landscape of allied health uh, professions across the state of California. I'll go into more detail on each of these, of course. We'll talk about Alameda Health Systems partnership with the Ed Fund, overview of our structure, our funding, and our programs. And we want to zoom in on the two of the really innovative and unique program offerings that we have. One is currently underway and another is in development. And finally, we want to save some time for a discussion. But I would actually propose that if anybody from the group has questions as we go along, please stop us, interrupt, ask for clarification um, as we go along. No need to save that until the very end. Thanks for Yeah, thank you, but can I just ask one to start off with? Definitely. What is the contribution that AHS has made to the fund? Because it's actually, it, it's, it's, it's oh, a little okay. I'll let them get Great. to it. We'll, we'll cover Great. that. So uh, we have engaged in a pretty in-depth analysis of allied health careers with one of our external consulting partners, McKinsey & Company, um, who have looked at labor market data, 
done employer interviews. Tony, I believe you were one of the interviewees. Um, interviewed our workers, interviewed our staff, um, and analyzed the education providers across the state to come up with a current picture of the landscape of allied health uh, professions. Uh, and these are a few numbers that jumped out, high-level numbers that jumped out as a part of the analysis. Um, so the first number is 65,000 annual uh, demand for allied health workers in California with a total of 400,000 through 2024. That to me is an eye-popping number. So the demand is increasing yearly with almost half a million through 2024. Um, in metro areas, we're seeing that gap is even larger. So areas like the Bay Area, Los Angeles, where two of our main offices are, we're seeing the gap as an increase of 50% through the year 2024. The next two numbers touch on the education experience of allied health workers. So 60 to 80% of allied health workers are trained by for-profit schools, uh, and the vast majority of those graduates are left with astronomical debt, pretty low salaries, and limited mo mobility. We've heard from, and this is more anecdotal, but we've heard from a lot of our members that they're kind of stuck in their positions because they can't afford to take any risks or move out of their roles because they have loans to pay. Um, so their debt is really driving their careers as opposed to their, their hopes and dreams and aspirations. And on the flip side, our employers are reporting that 60% of graduates of these programs are not prepared for the roles that they're stepping into um, with a key focus on a lack of soft skills or employability skills as they're being often called these days um, as certain pain points. The next two numbers look at a couple of political initiatives that are afoot uh, where Governor Brown's 2018-2019 budget has proposed $100 million for a fully online competency-based community college service really with a focus on worker learners. What we hear from our members, our, our students, um, very frequently is that uh, they don't have time to go to school and to work. So some sort of a more flexible online model is, is definitely um, something that folks are asking for. And then we are in conversation with uh, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom around a campaign to increase the number of apprenticeships and to offer 500,000 allied health um, apprenticeships in the state of California by the year 2029. So that is very much a, um, a hot topic in healthcare these days, and the Ed, Ed Fund is um, an early adopter in moving these initiatives forward. So where does the Ed Fund fit in with this? All right, so in steps the Ed Fund. And so what is the Ed Fund? We are a partnership between labor and management, um, and our whole focus is about changing the lives of healthcare workers through this partnership. Um, and we have a $20 million a year budget to serve 100,000 uh, healthcare workers throughout uh, the state of California and four other western states, um, and 18 employers. And how that basically works is we're negotiated into contracts, and then the negotiation um, is about 0.22% of payroll is what uh, a employer or a system will contribute. So for Alameda Health Systems, that basically comes to about $288,000 annually, at least for 2018, and that's to serve um, a little over 1,800 workers. That will increase when San Leandro makes its contribution. They did um, sign a contract to um, contribute to um, 
our fund. We are just waiting for that to happen. So as soon as that uh, foot falls, um, that will increase both numbers. So we'll, I think it's uh, close to 200 workers will be serving at San Leandro, and the budget will go up just a little bit there. So this is our vision and our mission. And I know sometimes visions and missions can just seem kind of boring. <laughs> or, um, But we really were thoughtful about these words, and so I really want you to hear the words. Um, our vision is to be the trusted accelerator uh, for healthcare careers. And our mission is to empower our diverse healthcare workforce to advance in a changing environment through innovation, uh, innovative education and training solutions. I just want to sit with that for a minute because, you know, we have a, there's lots of different problems and obstacles and challenges in the world that you all are working in, right? And we're here um, to help provide solutions in partnership with uh, labor and management. I think that's pretty cool. So, what's been happening? <laughs> Over the last couple of years, we've really seen a huge increase um, in utilization for the education fund, which we are totally ecstatic about. And you know, over uh, from 2015 to 2017, we've seen a 77% growth in uh, users, um, which means for 2017 we served a little over 14, almost 14 and a half thousand workers um, throughout those 18 employers um, in five states. What does that mean for Alameda Health System? Our growth here, which is really great, and um, Tony did speak to it, is really through partnership with the um, union and with um, Ronnie Gravino, um, where we saw 144% growth um, over the last two years. That basically equates to uh, 335 workers at Alameda Health System who've used um, the Ed Fund in one way or the other. And the next slide actually will... That's in one, that's in the last, in 2017. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the next slide shows you kind of a breakdown of what people are interested in and how they're using us. So um, these numbers can get kind of complicated, so I wanted to just explain for a minute and please ask any questions you might have. So you know, out of the 1,800-plus um, workers, 335 used us with about 18%, which is pretty good. We're aiming for 20% this year. Um, we're not quite hitting the benchmarks, so we know we're a little bit behind and we have a lot of work to do in the next six months to get to our goal of 20%. Um, but back to 2017, you can see, um, let, me, let me show you, let me direct your attention to professional development. So basically what this is telling you is that 79 workers used our professional development program 1,019 times. And our professional development um, services are really CEUs. Um, so they either took online or in-person courses or got a specialty certifications through us. Um, we know that 79 is a small number because lots and lots of workers need CEUs, right? So we know there's potential for growth there. And we know that it's actually quite useful because those 79 used it a thousand times. That's a lot. You can see our other area of popularity is in our skills development, so those soft skills we were talking about. Um, 376 people enrolled in 615 different courses that we had. It might be medical terminology, it might be Excel or Word, it might be um, CPR, it could be anything like that. Um, that's our skills, some of our skills courses. Um, and then we have other numbers for counseling and career advancement. So that's really what's been happening. And um, we think that that's great. The numbers are really good, but we know that they can be better and that it's just really a matter of um, getting the word out to the workers 
and also getting the word out to managers that this is available. Um, some of the soft skills too, some of the courses that we offered um, this year actually and last year are around customer service and increasing our HCAP scores. Could I ask a question? Oh, oh. Will, will there be um, skills to address our new EHR to, for the EPIC system? Will that be part of? That's, that's predominantly dealt internally. Yeah. So EPIC will come in and train our staff. It, it would become relevant for um, not so much on EPIC, but maybe in EVS or food nutrition services work who wanted to move into an IT profession. They could get basic skills here and then try, that would help that's them exactly make a transition. Right. The goal of a lot of this is, is transition, helping with right. progression, as opposed to specific for a job right. which would be incumbent upon us to provide. Thank you. Yeah, my question was just about your capacity. So, I mean, these are great, but honestly, it would be fabulous if we said someday, wow, 50% of our population of employees are taking advantage right. of this. It's not going to be the physicians, maybe, but it's going to be those who's, who are kind of at the front end and the um, mm -hmm. uh, mind staff. Do you have capacity to manage that? Do you want to that? Yeah, I could speak to that. Um, what I will say in a nutshell is that the demand drives our staffing in a lot of ways. So if okay. we see the demand continue to increase, okay. and as we, we touched on the growth at Alameda Health System over the past two years has uh -huh. been incredible, really and it's really outpacing a lot of our, the vast majority of our employer partners, that puts the impetus on us to say that we actually need more staff mm -hmm. to be able to serve this, uh, this partner right. effectively. Okay. So okay. I would say that that we do have the capacity Absolutely. now, mm -hmm. um, and as growth continues, we will increase capacity. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and I guess, is it based on the contribution that the employer is making per person that goes through the program that would um, uh, sort of drive your capacity? It, um, like uh, an individual employer's contribution? Not so much. Okay. Uh, we have eight, as Amy said, we have 18 employer partners, and that drives our overall budget. I see. Um, and so we, we roll those funds up into one organizational budget. So, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So demand drives your the participation yes. drives the, the program. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thanks. Please continue. Okay. So we basically offer our programs and services in three different kinds of buckets, I would say, or three different capacities. One is through counseling, career advice, how do I get prepared for an interview, what are the skills that I already have, how can I, what's my career path, um, that kind of a thing. And almost all of our programs have a career counseling component to it. Um, then skills, um, we're all about either upskilling, um, or uh, enhancing what one might already have or getting new skills. Um, so for instance, if someone, let's say an EVS department wants to get into another job where medical terminology is needed, we'll be able to help them with that course. Um, and then uh, career advancement, we're really helping financially people to um, achieve uh, academic and or vocational um, accreditation, degrees, um, and our, we have a huge counseling component to that part too. So counseling skills advancement, those are the three ways in which we are um, providing, uh, changing the lives of healthcare workers. Do you have partnerships with any professional programs in colleges or is that part of it? Yeah, we, work, we, have a, we have partnerships with lots of different vendors. We do work um, closely with almost every community college in California okay. actually um, and um, various um, 
various other vendors, such as Project Heartbeat, um, who does our ACLS and PALS courses. Um, is that what you yeah. meant? Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. I, I mean, my, my kind of, what I was getting at was, does the employee participant come to you and say, oh, I want to go to Chabot, or do they say, I want to expand my skills and, and, and move forward in this area in my career, and you say, well, here's some options. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Can you and one thing I just want to I want to say too is that you know we do work with people individually. You know, an individual may come and say, "This is my vision for myself um, in within healthcare. Um, can you help me?" And we can. But we also want to work with cohorts and groups of workers mm -hmm. to really address some of the issues that we hear about all the time, and um, whether it's staffing issues or gaps or hard to fill positions. We want to work with the employer as well to fill those needs. So we, I really think of our work as that individual who has that desire and that passion to grow um, along professional lines, and then mm -hmm. groups of workers, and even across uh, employers, right? So we might have a program that might be beneficial to Alameda Health System, but also we can partner with um, the Kaiser down the street um, on, let's say, a surge tech program and our OB tech program or whatever it is, um, that's really our, our aim and we see that that's really going to be the, that's where the solutions lie for a lot of the problems that, that we have in this current landscape. Mm -hmm. You guys have done the guidance counseling for healthcare. That's really what, you know, that's the vision I'm getting here, that it's really powerful. It's great. I, I just want to keep an eye on the time yeah. for so you. Because I, 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 I know you've got a hard stop. Um, the HRTP project outcomes, that slide, I think you said oh, the next great. one. We're, we're actually going to segue into. Oh, you are? Oh. And, yeah. Okay. So we're moving away from the partnership between um, Alameda Health System and the Ed Fund on a broader level and zooming into two program highlights. And I will try to be uh, judicious with my, <laughs> with my time here. So the High Road uh, to Healthcare Careers is the first of the two projects that we want to spotlight. I'm actually the project manager for it. In May of 2017, we received a $750,000 grant from the state of California to pilot a training program for lower skill, lower wage workers um, with the intention of putting them into a career pathway. Um, so at Alameda Health System, we're working with EVS and dietary staff, um, and we are providing a host of services that I'll touch on in a second. EVS and food service workers. We're working at Highland Hospital and Alameda Hospital through AHS. We're also partnering with Dignity Health um, and Kaiser Permanente and the greater Sacramento area, just to kind of give you a broad scope of the, the overall project. So I think this is the, the slide that you were referring to. Our goal is to engage 45 plus participants across the uh, three employer partners and for 35 of the 45 to move into formalized career pathways. So the outcome of the program is for folks to move into a training program, not necessarily the job. Um, we have a codified curriculum. It's a 144-hour curriculum that's delivered over four months. And I'll go into a little bit more detail on that. And we are aiming to identify future uh, funding opportunities to scale this product on a much greater level in future iterations as soon as 2019. Question on that before I move no, on? No, no, keep going. Okay, so some details on the Alameda Health System cohort. Uh, so we received 29 applications between Highland and Alameda Hospitals. Uh, we currently have 13 enrolled in program. So this was outreach that we did to all of the employees in those. In partnership, yeah, for everyone that was eligible under the ad fund and exactly. partnership with the ad fund. Mm. Exactly. Um, we did not turn anybody away. Uh, we have a lot of lessons learned uh, over the course of the project, but one of them is that we needed more lead time to get mm -hmm. folks into the yeah, program uh, to work out 
operational concerns. It is yes. a lot of hours, definitely. Um, and the top desired career pathways, medical assistant, which we'll, say, we'll talk a little bit more in the second program, spotlight imaging tech seems to be a very uh, coveted <laughs> classification among the workers, uh, sterile processing tech, mm -hmm. and dietitian. Uh, so some quick notes on the program logistics. Like I said, four-month program between June and September. It is running now. Uh, we have Tuesday and Thursday sessions from 8 a.m. until 12 p.m. at Merritt College. That is our chosen education partner. Um, about two hours of homework per week, give or take. Folks are earning actual college credits. They're getting 4.5 college credits and a basic life support and first aid certification through the program. Um, and we have negotiated release time and wage replacement for all eligible participants. Um, a unique aspect of this program is that we are actually allowed to work with um, on-call workers, or services as needed workers. Um, and they, they have some limited benefits um, through the program. We can't give um, wage replacement for services at SAN folks. Um, but they, everything is free of charge, and they are. They can for regular workers. Yes. They can for yeah. regular workers, and actually for SAM workers for our other programs that exceed 40 hours in a in a calendar year, they're actually not eligible. So their ability to participate in this program was actually quite an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Cool. Trauma team to the ER, level one, ETA, five minutes. Trauma team to the ER, level one, ETA, five minutes. So the types of supports that we're able to offer um, high road to healthcare career participants, wage replacement for work hours missed during program, um, it is 100% free of charge to every participant. So tuition, books, materials, we pay for all of it. And this is paid through, through the yeah. arrangement, through the, our, the set aside in the contract. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is actually, the, this is the, the grant, The right? grant. It's a combination oh, okay. of ed fund, and, and I didn't delineate between the two, combination yeah. of grant funds and in ed fund. One of the rules of the grant was that we weren't able to pay wage replacement, so the Ed Fund um, pays for that. However, the grant pays for basically everything else, including the contract with Mary College. Did you have any action items that I needed to be here for? No. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, guys. It's, it's good. This nice is awesome. I can't wait the next time to see how many of our participants have actually advanced in career. Like that's. Yeah. I can't wait I assume to tell you. Gonna, that was going to be my own question. Like I assume you're tracking that, right? Like right. that person was here and now they're there. Exactly. And that's like. Exactly. The outcomes yeah, that's, that's we want to see. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks sure. so much. Sorry, sure. I have to leave. Nice to meet you. Uh, we are offering individualized counseling and career planning for each participant, and we have embedded classroom support for English language learners. So every class actually has two instructors, a content specialist and an adult ed slash ESL specialist to make sure that folks are tracking, that we're meeting the needs of the students. Every class at Merritt College, right. And it, it's something where it obviously drives up the cost of instruction because we have two educators in the room, but I think it's worth it, especially for this population, to support them. open to other students? They are not for this version. It's a contract ed agreement, so they are exclusive to Alameda Health System employees for the pilot. Um, yeah. So it really is a pretty That's robust program. Fantastic. Yeah, I fantastic. won't go into too much detail on this slide. Um, Amy touched on the three main pillars of the Ed Fund's work: um, skill development, career advice, and career advancement. Um, so this uh, is how we touch on each of those pillars through the High Road to Healthcare Careers program. Could I? You mind if I? I think the if you read the, these basic elements, what my perception of this is it creates an environment in which people can advance as opposed yeah. to what necessarily allows them immediately to advance. Right. 
So it's very difficult for someone from food nutritional services or diet, dietary to make that career leap without getting some basics, yes. some basic math, some fundamental skills, some soft skills, so they can go on and advance their, their educational uh, career. They need some support in that. And this really creates an environment that allows them to start making that move up. If they stepped into education without any sort of foundation, you would see, you would see a greater failure rate. Yeah. And so this is really creating that support structure underneath them that helps them make that move up should they choose to do so. There's nothing wrong with being in food and nutrition for your entire career. We have people right. who have been in for 37 years. That's okay. But if you want to advance, you just need something that's going to help you get that leg up and start, start moving forward. But this would not replace correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm working in environmental services and I wanted to become, say, a promotora, uh, just a, a community health worker. A cho. W a cho. Would this allow me to make that leap? It would, no. It, it would, no, it de would depend on the skills. So if they acquired the skills and depending upon how the, the cho job description is written, uh -huh. this might allow this might them, get there, might maybe. get you there, but it depends on what the, the specific qualifications for the job are. So people yeah. need to combine this with perhaps other education as well. Correct. And the guidance that you provide helps them navigate that. Oh, well, if Definitely. you want to do that, you're going to have to go to get your college degree, but here's exactly. the first steps you can take. Exactly. Yeah. Another okay. way of thinking of it is almost like an educational boot camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like over the yeah. summer, we're going to give you the foundation. Yeah. You're going to go into yep. this more advanced yeah. training program. And, and, and they know going in, because this is one of the mm -hmm. things that I, I was in education for a while. You know, sometimes the if, if you're first in your family to go to college, exactly. people make this assumption, oh, I just need to go to Chabot and I can become uh, exactly. uh, whatever. Right. No, that's a four-year degree. This exactly. is what you need to do. So you're doing some of that yeah, hand-holding right. to make sure they understand Absolutely. what they're getting into and what Absolutely. they can and cannot do. That's right. right. We've okay. done two group-level workshops with, with the cohort around, you know, what do you want to be? Here's an assessment. Let's have a discussion okay. about it. And we've had, at this point, two or even three individual one-on-one yeah. -on -one conversations That's to super paint important. a picture of exactly what you're talking about. Thanks. Yeah, acknowledging that a lot of folks will be first in their generation, first yeah. in their family to go to college. Yeah. And then the learning outcomes, um, speaking to the, the skills that Tony was just touching on, um, reading, writing, math, critical thinking, technology, soft skills, uh, the healthcare workplace and industry, workplace safety, and environmental sustainability. That's just a quick run through by the end of this program mm -hmm. our participants will have increased capacity in all of those areas and our curriculum is written to that to that to that end i'd like to go to the healthcare workplace and industry one myself <laughs> <laughs> we're looking for guest speakers <laughs> so uh, shifting gears if folks don't have additional questions about high road to healthcare careers um, shifting gears to talk about um, our medical assisting um, pathway. So this is an, an, an example. Before, we, before yeah. we start here, do we have MAs here? Uh, not that we have them in the clinics. Yes. Okay. In, yeah. the, in the ancillary. In the, the uh, FQAC clinics, yeah. ambulatory clinics. We have that's Predominantly that's where MAs are used. Uh, yeah. Certified nursing assistants are used in the hospital environment. Okay. MAs are used in the outpatient environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And that's jumping ahead to one of the follow-ups or one of our asks is close partnership with our employer partners to identify what are the classifications that we can focus on for a pathway for an EVS or dietary worker to move into. Um, so looking at MAs as an example, going back to one of the first slides, our analysis with McKinsey, um, they identified three critical classifications, 
MAs being one of them, medical coders being another, um, and LVNs being the third, that the demand will grow in the coming years and the opportunity is ripe for us to provide training and education to move people into these, these, um, these fields. So we currently, the Ed Fund currently has four medical assistant programs planned for launching in 2018 and 2019. Um, and we're actually in the early phases of development. Um, so we're working on identifying um, education partners, employer partners, and really assessing the need uh, and the demand for, for these, these occupations. Um, so I'm definitely not gonna read through each of these four priorities. Uh, but I wanted to touch on one or two points per. Um, innovative delivery, going back to the idea of the difficulty of being both a worker and a student at the same time, we want to innovate delivery, come up with an education model that is scalable, that's worker friendly, and is ultimately training productive and ready to work medical assistants um, who are equipped with the skills they need to be successful in their, their roles. Learner equity, serving the underserved, especially through High Road to Healthcare Careers, we did an analysis of the utilization rates of EVS and food service workers in the years leading up to our launch, um, and they were significantly lower than other classifications. Yeah. So we want to work with classifications that we have not traditionally um, served. Um, we want to be leaders in this industry, even though um, medical apprenticeships or allied health apprenticeships are very hot. There's a lot of money coming down the pike for them. Um, there aren't a lot of them existing in the here and now, and we want to lead the, the pack in developing those. And with that comes um, developing a diverse, stable, sustainable funding pipeline to, to support these programs. Uh, so what would the medical assisting apprenticeships look like at, a, at an Alameda Health System? They will be registered through the Department of Labor, Labor and or the State of California, uh, which comes with some funding opportunities. Um, participants will be specifically trained to the Alameda Health System uh, model of care. Um, there will be a combination of classroom and clinical training, followed by a first year of practice mentoring program. Tony, you were mentioning the um, attrition rate for, or the turnover rate for first and second year clinicians. The first year of practice would speak to that and aim to um, lower that rate that specifically. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and we completed a pilot in 2017 with um, uh, San Francisco's Kaiser. Um, so lots of lessons learned there, um, but the program included grant support, preceptor training, and customized training for, for Kaiser and SF. So we have taken an initial pass at that. Um, so the program benefits, uh, they will, the, pr the program will produce custom trained, highly qualified medical assistants. Uh, they'll have demonstrated success with their employers uh, through ex their experience and, and um, acclimation to the culture. Um, there'll be career advancement opportunities to increase retention and performance, touching on that again. Um, program will require hosting paid, paid clinical placements and preceptors um, with backfill. The Ed Fund will provide financial support around each of those. Um, and the program design and execution support from local management teams. And the outcomes of the medical assisting apprenticeships, um, the learner outcomes, we want participants to graduate from the apprenticeships. We want them to obtain the employment that they aim to mm -hmm. obtain. Uh, we want them to increase their salaries, uh, and they want we, we would like them to pass their certifications. And this is, again, this is in the mm -hmm. early phases, so we don't have numbers attached to these. Right. Um, and the employer outcomes, lower hiring costs, reduce turnover, 
uh, lower recruiting costs because you would be essentially recruiting from within, mm -hmm. um, from other classifications. Increased productivity. Um, engagement. Yeah, increased engagement. Actually, one thing that I would add to that, if I may just mm -hmm. give you feedback on Definitely. this. The more diverse the employee base of AHS, the better our health outcomes exactly. are going to be. Exactly. And so I would encourage you to raise that as exactly. a potential outcome because you, you need to see people who look like you, who are exactly. part of your community working in those frontline jobs where, you know, the person that's taking your pulse, the person okay. that's drawing the blood looks like you and talks your language and is, you know, making you comfortable. Okay. So. All of that can be part of patient outcomes as well. That's that's right. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. Thank you for adding that. This is really it's been so exciting, interesting, yeah. it's exciting, and what, you know, you were over sitting over here as we were talking about our dashboard and how we get data about sure. engagement yeah. and um, satisfaction and things like that. And this really is something that um, employees and managers should really yeah. look at as a, a a great tool to support yeah. staff. Great. Okay. Yeah, and, and I'm surprised that. McKinsey did not find that, and maybe they don't want to get their hands dirty out in the community because sometimes McKinsey puts on those, you know, fancy suits. Um, I'm surprised they did not find that the community health worker is a priority mm -hmm. for the region because there's quite a few initiatives um, statewide mm -hmm. to increase the number of community health care workers that can do a lot of supportive efforts, uh, reach out, simple you know, education, uh, coordinating care, navigation <coughs> of care. I, I just took note of that. Um, actually, a meeting popped up on my calendar to meet with the McKinsey group, so I'll, I'll bring that yes. up to them. Make them go back and do that. I, I, we'll <laughs> Thank, you that Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Well, hopefully we'll see you again in six or eight months. Yeah, yeah so, more. Yeah, happy I mean, to. Happy to. the big thing for us in working that this fits more broadly into our strategy of you know, some of this would sound country to our inability to do everything. Right? Oh, we, yeah. we need partners. Yeah. If, if we're going to progress, uh, particularly employees at the front line, uh, and we're going to become more diverse and an anchor institution, we're going to have to work with more partners, whether that's goodwill or in terms of training people on interviewing. So when they come to a job interview here, they understand the basics of professionalism uh, or it's other community benefit organizations or the Ed Fund. We need to be in partnership with others within the community mm -hmm. to serve the community because, mm -hmm. you know, when we run through this program, if this program were to be extremely successful, mm -hmm. we'd probably churn out more MAs than we can employ. Oh, of course. Right? But that allows an opportunity for local CHCNs, mm -hmm. right? And if we're that anchor institution and that's ultimately mm -hmm. our goal in this community, then while I want them to work here, I don't care that they leave and go and work at a CHCN. Mm -hmm. You know, that benefits the community more broadly than just focusing in an yeah. internal. And I think if we do these programs successfully, then we will see some of that. Right. And the thing is not to be overly concerned if an employee chooses to leave, if we can track them into a CHCN or someone else whose mission mm -hmm. is aligned with ours, because that allows us to feed the community at large instead of just mm -hmm. this individual institution. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I, I the, um, when we have employees coming from other countries, it uh, often they may have skills, professional skills, that they don't feel are so easily translatable because of language barriers or, or other certification certification barriers, other things like that. And by having this to offer, you know, bringing someone in at a level where they might otherwise think, well, 
gosh, I was a I was an LVN in my country, but you're bringing me in as a as a, a EBS yeah, person. Right. But we can share with them that we have these opportunities and. Yeah, actually, that's actually happened here. So I'll just share a really quick story of someone who was um, trained in the medical field, um, and I forget, it's been a while, exactly which East African country, mm -hmm. um, but was employed here as an EBS worker, had um, completed his schooling, um, his RN program, but was having a really difficult time passing the NCLEX. So he tried once and didn't get it. He tried again and didn't mm -hmm. get it, and he came to us and asked for help, and we hooked him up with a... Um, a tutor and he passed the test and he's working as an RN now here. Yeah, that's great. From EBS to RN right here. That's um, so and I, I forgot his name and I apologize to him and to you. Uh -huh. I don't have his name, but he really does exist. Uh -huh. And I see him in the halls all the time when I'm here and it always makes me so happy to know that we were able to help him. Because that's a huge increase in his wages, yeah. right? Um, and he's still here. So he's using what he got, his credentials here. And I think that's really important. Where are you housed? Are you at Samuel Merritt? Are you sharing space there, or where are you located? We're in downtown Oakland. Oh, you're downtown in Oakland. Oakland oh, okay. Yeah. We're offices office. in uh, L.A., uh, San Jose, Sacramento, okay. Portland, Colorado. But, but your chosen um, education partner for the Bay Area is Samuel Merritt. I'm assuming you have others in other for Merit this College, program. Yeah. Okay. College. Merritt College, yeah. not Samuel. Yeah. Merit. Sorry, exactly. Merritt. Sorry. Okay. Well. Thank you. Some other questions we can take care of, but that was a very great presentation. Thank you. Thank you all. Keep on keeping on. Oh, and our information is there. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're going to talk about uh, probationary release data. Yes. In relation to the earlier public comments, uh, it just so happens that we have on the agenda to talk about probationary release data okay. and also talk about exit interview data. Uh, before we get to the exit interview data, I do recall and reviewed in the minutes for Trustee Nanas, you, you had asked the question about ethnicity. We're working with a vendor on that, you know, okay. so we will come back to that. It isn't that we didn't recall your comment. Uh, we are working on it. The okay. way the data structure is a little bit difficult to connect the two okay. uh, right now, but we are working on our ability to, to get uh, a response that would track ethnicity, gender, specifically to the exit interview reason the individual okay. gives. And so we'll come back when we're able to construct that in, a, in an okay. effective way. And, and so was that a typo? Because on, on page 46 of 60, it said Alameda County Ethnic Diversity Comparison. I don't think that's what it I, is. I think it's probably a typo. When we get to it, just okay. point it out now. Thank you. Okay, so a couple of things that have come up in, in public comment about probation releases. Um, it is that there was uh, a concern about the ethnic makeup of individuals released in those periods. Mm -hmm. um, there are a couple of things that, that relate to that. Um, when you look at fiscal year 16, I pulled this, I did uh, 16, 17, and 18 delivery, so we could look mm -hmm. over three years. I'm going to refer you uh, to the top right, um, first of all, which is diversity of new hires and rehires. And so you'll see. That a, that a relatively high number of the employees hired in that period um, are both African American and Asian. And when you look to the bottom right, there's a disproportionate number of African American employees who leave in that period. The number is 14, roughly 14. There's also a disproportionate number of white employees that go in that period relative to, to the number of hired. Um, I'm going to jump forward through 17 to 18. And then you see the spike, which is what brought public comment uh, two meetings ago, um, 
of the African-American probation releases in this period. Mm -hmm. Most of them have come in a couple of areas. When we look at those individual areas, the management staff up to the senior leadership level are of the same ethnicity of those being hired. The reason I raise that is there's a churn going on, which is we see African-Americans disproportionately in these areas leaving the organization but they are then immediately replaced by other African-Americans hired at a disproportionate level into those jobs. Mm -hmm. That itself would be suggestive of there not being a discriminatory practice going on, but of there being an underlying concern that we have, which is our selection processes to a degree are broken. Also that we may have an issue in terms of our ability to integrate people into the organization in those particular jobs. And as we spoke about earlier before the meeting started, potential unconscious bias about expectations of people. Mm -hmm. Some of that is why I wanted the Ed Fund to come in today and talk to you about the programs we are actually working on to sort of, I can't magically fix these issues. We have a culture to shift mm -hmm. uh, and we are working on them. Some of the concerns that are raised, I think, uh, are real and, and we're aware of them and working on them. Some of the concerns are math issues. So if, you, if I watch this out over 10 years and I can't get data far enough back, otherwise I would have gone further, I'm pretty convinced that it washes out because of our overall makeup in the top left in each of the slides, it stays the same. When you look at the overall terminations, they stay about the same. Are it that we get spikes in this probation release and it appears to be in areas, specific areas, which is suggestive of a management issues in those areas and a selection issue. So it isn't that I'm not concerned. Right. I, th I think it's a real issue. Yeah. The question is, what is the issue? What, what's going on? What's the issue we deal with as opposed to a, a leap to a conclusion that it relates to these people ethnicity? Because when you do a breakdown, there are questions that suggest that, that that's not absolutely valid. Uh, and it doesn't, uh, there are questions that we have to answer and improve in the organization. No. Um, but I want to make sure that we're addressing the real issues that we're facing because there are, I do have concerns and we need to work on them. So, Tony, just a quick question. Yeah. What is our total number, just for 2018, <coughs> do you have the total number, total population of employees? Uh, 2018, give me one second. Uh, as of May, uh -huh. uh, it was 4853. Uh, okay. Uh, that and just so you know, that's heads, not FTEs. Yeah. Just heads, okay. Yeah, head and count. this figure that we see here is this. FTEs or this is heads. Heads. Th as this well. is heads as okay. well. These are Total bodies heads. in and bodies out of the organization. Okay. All right. Um, because I mean, boy, I, and and I, I would just say to address this constant complaint and concern, mm -hmm. we may need not for all the years. I just yeah. think for 2018, just start with that year. You may need to break this up by departments. Mm -hmm. And into, we're doing and that. And you're doing that. We're okay. doing that so we can, and I'll get to what we're actually doing when people exit further okay. on in the presentation. Yeah, because maybe, like yeah. you said, it is a management issue yeah. of one department or two, yeah. and that's why we're seeing such a large number leaving. Yeah, so there's spikes in particular areas. Okay. And then why, why I think... Um, it's harder to, I don't think that race doesn't play an issue. Why it's harder to pin down whether race is the issue is the individuals then that are rehired are of the same race of those that left right. in the probationary period. It isn't as though in those particular areas 
you see a disproportionate spike in probation releases in a particular ethnicity, and then, and then they're replaced by other ethnicities. Mm -hmm. That's really not what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so that's what leads me to believe it's a more a management issue around selection and integration of employees into the organization than it is based on eth uh, you know, an ethnic bias. Uh, and, and to a certain extent, as we discussed, um, you know, the, the more skills and certification you have to have to obtain the position, the less uh, likely or the less uh, you, you might want to leave, right? I mean, it, the, the harder it is and the more effort you put into getting there to that position, the, the, le the, the, if the, the conditions more. If, if the conditions are bad, trust it. Trust right. uh, I left a perfectly fine job because I did not feel right. I had a future. What, what I would tell you um, is first year turnover in healthcare is appalling. Right. It's, but what I would tell you is a two-sided coin. The employers at times struggle to integrate people effectively. The flip side is the employees treat it like it's not a professional job. So nurses come into a job, and I, I'm going to say this obviously, it, people will be able to read this later. The data show that nurses come into a job with hope and aspiration. Mm -hmm. They don't feel as though they get what they need from the job, mm -hmm. but they take their next job based on shift and location and pay. Mm -hmm. Those are the three key drivers of someone selecting a new job. And when you move, when they go into their next job, they leave because they didn't feel professionally rewarded. And so they leave for very different reasons than they take a job. And we, go, we need to be aware of that. What retains someone is not what attracts them to a job or causes them mm -hmm. to leave. You know, the attraction is shift, location, and money. Um, and there are other things that people care about, and I don't want to dismiss those, but that repeats in the, the, the big data that you look at that surrounds this will tell you that from all the surveys. But they leave because they didn't feel the environment worked for mm -hmm. them. And, but immediately look for another job, shift, location, and money. That, they are the drivers. And there isn't anything over 10 years I've seen in the data in the largest that says that's going to change anytime soon. That leads to that first year turnover being really high. And so even well-qualified nurses, they come and they leave. I've seen people leave in the first week. I thought I was going to get a, a day shift, but you took a night shift position. Yeah, but I thought I was going to be able to negotiate to a day shift. And they leave from a job that pays $140,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And you would not expect that from a professional, but you see that behavior in healthcare. And I think some of it's, it's due to many things. I mean, it's very hard to say what it is, but you see that behavior permeate. Um, and I think we've got to work in with, within those parameters and understand it and do our best to mitigate it because there are good people who come here and do great work. We don't want to see probationary releases like this and, and turnover like this. We have to also understand we're in healthcare and some of the data look very similar to everyone else's. So, so Tony, yeah. you're, you're going to take a deeper yeah. dive on the data, at least yeah. for 2018, yeah. to look for trends by department, Yes, right? we are. And you're going to come back to us with, obviously we can't talk about a manager situation, but you, yeah. you, you're going to be able to say, here are the two departments that have the greatest number of these probationary uh, releases, or here's the two departments that had the greatest number of terminations, even. Yeah. Uh, I, all, all of these might be wise to yeah. break, break down uh, the, the bottom two. Um, and, and we can't discuss, you know, yeah. the nature of the disciplinary actions and all of that, but that's going to be very telling. Yeah. Um, I want to be cautious. Uh, let me look at the data first yeah. to see what sort of numbers and how. Yeah. It, it plays out to being very clear who or where it is to an individual level before we discuss it in the board. And yeah, I, I could, we yeah. can communicate about 
you know, how effectively to do that in an appropriate fashion. Oh, we don't need to say it out loud. I'm just saying, yeah, if the you answer, do the, the analysis answer, the answer and then you yes. say, yes, we found it and we're going to go take care of the it, an, The answer great. to that is yes. I think Joe would really appreciate this, and there's the, the exit interview data is quite robust. Yeah. And, and also, yeah. the, well, before you go there, so I'm wondering if, yeah. and also the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, yeah. which I think yeah. those two things are Keep kind of moving towards yeah. where we want to go, at yeah. least with collecting the data and, and figuring out where the target yeah. areas yes. are. So my suggestion would be that we um, we do those at our next meeting. Okay. I can, I can flip through it quickly now, and I'm more than happy to do it again, because there'll be more exit interview data by that point in time. Well, if we'll have more data, then why don't we just hear it? Because I want to hear about Janice, too. Okay. I mean, I think Janice, will be, Janice will be very brief. Okay. It's a um, verbal update. So it's but, but, but it is absolutely your call. I'm more than yeah. happy to tell okay. So why don't, we, why don't we do the, the um, exit interview data and the um, and the of the committee, the uh, the inclusion, the DNI. Yeah, I'll talk committee. more about that. Yeah. So we'll at, and at our next meeting. And the error is on page forty-five. Just take a look at it. It says Alameda County ethnic. Keep going. Okay, You'll see it. <laughs> so there it is. That, do the that one. Uh, okay, that's a slide issue. Sorry, okay. thank you. Yeah, it, is, it is now. And and if we're going to talk about the committee next time, could you bring the charter for that? Yeah, it doesn't exist now. So I what know. I wanted to do is notify you, and if and there's then, a full charter, I will bring it. Yeah, bring us the charter. I think yes. that's going to be the best yeah. way to leverage Great. our Thanks, Maria. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about Janice. So I wanted to just give you an... Oh, let me get to the Janice slide. I saw that video, by the way. You did? That was very good. It was very good. Yeah. yeah. So it's always at the end, so we're not going to do it. I'm giving, I'm giving Dev, the, Dev the shake of the head, not to show it right now uh, for time, but, but, but it is a very powerful um, and moving video. So, um, you know, when we talked about it at the full board, I just wanted to make sure everyone understood this what... This is not in here, right? The, the slide? No, it's a single slide. Oh. Uh, so I think it is. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if it's in there. So um, the Janus decision basically, and I'll, I'll talk in plain terms where Mike will talk in more legal terms, uh, Janus or, or David, Janus basically says an employee can opt out of the union and not pay fees anymore. Right? Previously, that was not a choice. If they opted out, they, they paid agency fees within a public employer's environment, mm. which we are. Uh, at the same time, uh, a, state assembly, a state bill was passed. Um, a Senate bill that counteracted some of Janus. We now have to navigate our way through that. Mm. Uh, we met today with a number of the unions. We met with CNA, SEIU 1021, SEIU UHW, um, CIR, which represents our uh, interns and residents, uh, and ACMIA, which represents uh, some management and other administrative uh, employees. And the purpose of the meeting was for me to ask them how they wanted to manage this. Uh, not to necessarily agree with what they requested us to do, but for us to hear where they stood on it, on the issues before we make any decisions. Uh, the big concerns and dis the big concerns they have are communication to employees. Under uh, the the latest bill, we can send a message out to our employees that relates to Janus. What I let them know is we're undecided whether or not we're going to do that at this point in time. It, there's a requirement that we meet and confer with them. So if we decide we'll send a message out to employees, we will meet and confer with each of the unions. If we don't agree on the content, then we send a message out from them, and that gets included with our message. Hmm. 
Uh, and again, we haven't decided whether we'll send a message out. We're thinking through that process about our obligation to our employees mm -hmm. as well as the obligation to the unions. Obviously, the union's position is they want us to be neutral, which means we say nothing to the employees. Mm -hmm. The question we have to uh, reconcile with is the, the 4,853 heads that would work here, we have an obligation to them above and beyond our relationship with the unions. And so we have to consider this carefully, uh, and we, that's what we're working our way through now. Um, there's also a process now where previously the employees would fill in uh, forms, and they could be given to us, or they could go to the union, and we would begin deducting fees based on receipt. Mm -hmm. We now have to get information only from the union. We need to give the union the information related to employees. We need to get it back from the, from the union that says these people have agreed mm -hmm. to uh, sign up. Only in the instance where an employee disagrees with that, there's a dispute, do we then seek the form from the union. And so what we discussed is a setting up a process and we're mapping that out and we'll be sending out a proposed um, process to them. We, all, we verbalized that today. They seem comfortable with what I'm proposing okay. at this point in time. So we'll send something out to them and see if they're all aligned. Now, all the unions weren't able to come today, but we want a single process. What I articulated to them is my one concern is their ability to respond to us in a timely fashion. We want it electronically in Excel. That's how we'll give the information mm -hmm. to them. We need it back so we can get it into the payroll system mm -hmm. for deductions. If they don't get it back to us, we can't deduct the fees. How long will it be before the state um, legislation or decision? It, it's passed. So the state yeah, Governor Brown signed it on the same day that Janice passed. Oh, he did. Okay. So, and I think they had some sense of where Janice is going, but it, quite frankly, it doesn't align absolutely, and it can't, it couldn't, because they didn't know what yeah. the Supreme Court's decision was going to be. Mm -hmm. They knew, I think, that it would find in favor of Janice mm -hmm. uh, and against AFSCME. What they didn't know is the exact wording. Okay. And so he signed the bill on the same day. Now we have to wade through these conflicts. And but our concern will be that there are potential legal conflicts between the interpretation of both. Whether or not we comply right, right, with Janus right. or right. the bill or with the, the, the language in the contract, which may, all three may conflict. And so that's what we have to read our way through. And there may be a challenge likely against the bill, right? Correct. We would expect yeah. one, yeah. Well, isn't this, though, um, let, let me put it this way. I keep seeing in the news of companies that are choosing to continue to follow past practice, whether it's on emissions or um, you know some element of how people are treated in the work environment. Uh, I, I'm hearing folks say, you know, well, if the Marriage Equality Act is somehow repealed, we're still going to honor it in terms of our benefits, in terms of how we treat partners in the workplace, right? So I think this is this is part of our, uh, you know, um, uh, leadership, our stewardship here, that we will have a decision like this, and as a public organization, we need to educate the employees that this decision has passed, but here are the repercussions if people undermine unions. Here's what happens when you don't have labor uh, organized uh, well to represent the needs of the employee. That way the employees are educated about what's happening. I, I don't think we can do that. The, the, we, that's cannot, that. we can't say anything? It's, like this is what's going on? We, 
that we can potentially get in, that's where we can potentially get into trouble if we're advocating one way or another. N not um, to advocate, just educate. But clarifying what this really means to an employee. But, but if you, I'm going to take an extreme example. Okay. You know, pro-life people would take education. What they would, you know, the anti-abortion right. would take education on pro-life as a way to encourage people not to seek abortions. Mm -hmm. People who are pro-choice would see education as a way. People, if educated, would clearly choose this path. You know, if people in certain areas were only better educated, they would clearly vote for the politician I support. Mm -hmm. And so th th there's always an inference there, intended or not, and you have to be very careful around it because the, the, the law about direct dealing and also influencing people there is, it is, we have to be cautious of that. We can educate people on Janus, uh -huh. you know, what the, okay. decision what says, the decision says, and what the available choices to employees are, right. but actually we need to meet and confer with the unions, each individual union, uh -huh. and what the content of that would be first. Okay. As to the consequences to unions, that really belongs with the unions to, to inform their members about. Employees. And they can do that, though. Yes, really they can. The unions and I, yeah, that oh, okay. And I think yeah. it's fair to say the unions are yeah. and have been. Right. They're, 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 they're engaged in that aspect okay. yeah. of, of that with their membership. All I'm saying is, long as we don't stand in the way of that kind of education that they would do. Are we, we I, well, and that's what, yeah. Tony, I think that's what the, the, this issue is. How do we navigate that and, and allow that to happen in, in compliance with our, with supporting our, our employees as well as being in compliance with Janice, as well as, yeah. you know, in, ensuring that, um, what is, that, that employees can make a decision for themselves. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it's a dip. We have to thread the needle here, um, I and I think there are going to be legal challenges. I think uh, someone will challenge eight six six. I think it will go up, and it will be you know this is my the non lawyerly opinion, sort of member of the public opinion. It will be rejected at each court. It will be appealed through California, and it will end up at the Supreme Court or some similar bill in a state will go up, and it will be overturned, and it will look Janice will be you know th that will drive. Um, the, the work that we have to do. I I'm going to have to adjourn the meeting on that yep. tack because I think, you know, as we look at the future Supreme Court, we might be having right. a completely different discussion and, and it won't. Well, I think it's that, that discussion. Anything that goes there that is favorable right. to labor will likely lose. And so you have to know, I, what I would say is, you know, while Governor, this is not a political set, while Governor Brown signed it with the intent to protect organized labor within uh, public employment, I think they would have been more judicious to have been a little more cautious because this is something that conflicts with it in so many ways mm -hmm. that, that it's more it's easier to overturn that than something that's doing something around the margins to protect organized labor or work in other ways. This is so clearly intended to counteract it that it becomes easier to do, to you know to throw it out. Well, time will tell. I just think from a big picture overall perspective, I think what was what I gleaned from the meeting today earlier with the unions was that our, our message was we want to engage in dialogue because we know yeah. that there's going to be uncertainties, yeah. there's going to be challenges. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, the members who participated today uh, were appreciative of the fact that we, you know, uh, initiated the meeting and indicated that we want to start mm -hmm. this dialogue, uh, but this is not a one-off thing. We know we're going to need, need to be at the table uh, engaged uh, consistently um, as the landscape continues to change. Yeah, that's good. I'm yeah. glad to hear that because yeah. I think we do have a responsibility to be very careful how this ends up impacting them. Yes, we do. Thank you. Well, thank you.
And, and thank you for, uh, it's good, I think, I'm glad to hear that you had the meeting today and, yep. that, and it, there was a, a great participation yep. and, um, was you know, who wasn't there? Um, well, let me see, out of the 18 or you know, 19 bargaining units, so local 6, local, local 36, local couple. 39, um, you know, the bigger unions were represented. Um, uh, UAPD was not, uh, they, they indicated they couldn't make the day and okay. they were in bargaining with them so we can address the issue across the table okay. with them in that, that, that format. For the unions, you know, their membership's very low, you know, in truth. And so, you know, the professional engineering union, I don't think they'll see any, nothing will happen there. Quite frankly, they'll, they'll maintain their memberships. It's, a, it's almost a professional organization yeah. for them. Um, What's I, the average fee like for some of these unions? It's uh, about, for SEIU, I think it's around $90 a month. And so, you know, for a new employee coming into food nutrition, EVS job, I, I think they're gonna see some attrition yeah. around the membership. It, yeah. It's a significant amount. And we just dealt the fee payers who are not members, we just stopped paying that at the request of 1021. I think you're going to see some employees next to another employee who saw $90 a month extra over two, and, and it will raise those questions. Um, and and that's, that's a real challenge for 1021. That's something mm -hmm. they're going to have to work on uh, and organize. Unions existed before agency shop. And they, and they existed pretty well, and they were well organized, and the shop stewards and the frontline staff did most of the work. Yeah. I think agency shop moved that work away from those people and into professional organizers yeah. and, and, and uh, reps. I think this shift will shift it back in the other direction. Those unions that are able to do that will survive, and they'll survive well. Mm -hmm. Those that struggle to make that transition, I think it's gonna be difficult for them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and I don't know which of those unions will succeed in that area. All right, time will tell. Time will tell. Well, um, then I'm going to adjourn the meeting. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you all. And let's look forward to September. Good luck with. Yes, yeah, sure, absolutely.